where we are today in the in the book of Ruth. Um, we were there two weeks ago. We took a break last week, and I hope, by God's grace, to be in it today and then the next two Sundays. And by way of introduction, I want to want you to think about March sixteenth, sixteen twenty one. March sixteenth, sixteen twenty one. It proved to be a really a pivotal day in uh, the life of the pilgrims who traveled from England on the Mayflower to settle in America in the New World. Only three months before, they had finally dropped anchor in Plymouth Harbor, December 17th, 1620, just in time to prepare for the harsh winter. And that winter was difficult, as many of us know, without buildings, uh, with um, little protection. The, the women and children were forced to stay aboard the Mayflower, which was kind of riddled with sickness. That was often where the, the sick men would be. Uh, lots of people got scurvy, other diseases, had a, a difficult time. In fact, of the 18 adult women that came with 102 people across the sea, 13 of them died that first winter. There were five adult women left. In all, nearly half of the pilgrims died before that first winter. 57 people were, were left to carry on the work. And, and things for them were looking bleak. Numbers were depleted. They'd faced the, the fear of uh, Indian attack. Disease was rampant. People were dying. As you know, they were burying them inside the compound so the, peop- the Indians outside wouldn't know how many people were dying on the inside. There were questions about how are they going to face the rugged circumstances before them. Questions were swirling in their minds. I just say it was a difficult, dark day for the early colony. But as I said, on March 16, 1621, their fortunes changed for the better. On that day, a Native American named Samoset just waltzed into the compound and he said, Greetings, Englishmen! And these, these pilgrims from from England must have been shocked that here was a here was a, a Native American, an Indian, saying to them greetings, speaking in their own language. And his English wasn't really good, but as it worked out, he had met some fishermen up north near Maine, had learned a bit of, of English as he traded with them. And this man, Samoset, really became the key to the survival of the early pilgrims, because it was Samoset that introduced these Native Americans to a Another Indian, do some of you children know what his name was? Yes, Nathan? Squanto. Yes, and Squanto had been a Native American who had been kidnapped by, I think they were an Englishman, kidnapped him, took him back, tried to sell him as a slave to Spain, but someone got hold of that and said, no, he should go back to the New World, and he spent about five years in England as he was trying to do that, and in his five years he learned to speak English, and he was returning back to his homeland which was right where the pilgrims landed. But there, his, his tribe had been wiped out. He knew English. So he came in and really helped them. And, and he helped them not only in, in managing the land, how to build, how to grow the crops that they need to grow there, like pumpkin and squash and beans and corn, and teaching them how to grow that, how to survive on the field. But also, his English skills connected the uh, pilgrims with a chief named... Massasoit. 
And Massasoit was uh, an Indian chief, and with the English skills of Squanto and the Indian language, they were able to establish a peace treaty. I mean, other, other pilgrims come across and been destroyed by the Indians, um, but they had a peace treaty where they pledged mutual aid and assistance, gave them peace for 40 years, and allowed them to settle in safety. And as a result, even you can look at the providential workings of God, the early Americans not only survived, but they prospered and thus allowed a beachhead then to allow all the east side of the uh, coast of what we know as America today was able to flourish. But March 16, 1621 was a, was a key day. It started out like any other day. These pilgrims are thinking about how they're going to survive today. They're, they're, they're anticipating hard work. They're anticipating building, chopping down wood, uh, protection, helping, whatever they could do. But they had no idea how crucial this day would be in their survival. But, but really, it, you look back, and there are many days like this, but this would have been one that was a crucial day. Because if they'd never met Samoset, I don't know if they would have ever survived the harsh conditions that lay ahead. Well, as we come this morning to the second chapter of the book of Ruth, we're going to see events of a similar day unfold. It was a day in which the, the fortunes of two women really changed forever. Chapter 2, the whole chronology of it, takes place in a single day, from the morning until the evening. And I'm not sure that these two women, Ruth and Naomi, really realized the significance of that day and how it was going to be a turning point for them, just like the early pilgrims. I don't think realized so much that the day they met Samoset was a key and crucial day in their lives. But it was. It was a turning point when they, they, they started out in hope, in, in despair, and trying to figure out what they're going to do. It was a day in which they turned to hope. Hope was restored. And as I have entitled the big idea of the book of Ruth, Life Was Restored. But like the colonists, it wasn't just Plymouth Plantation that was restored. It, was, it wasn't just the life of Ruth and Naomi that was restored. Really, this is a turning point in some sense in a, a day in which a nation was restored. Because from Ruth came David and from David came the Messiah. David raised the nation to prominence and the Messiah then brought hope and life to the world for those who believe in Christ. Well, this morning we are in Ruth chapter 2. just want to catch us up to speed. Last week we were in chapter 1. We found Ruth and Naomi in a dark situation. Dark circumstances. They, they had returned together from the land of Moab. They were poor. They were vulnerable. And they were in a time of need. Verse 20 gives a perspective of, of the situation. Naomi comes back into town, having been gone at least a decade. A small town. They would have said, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? And they're all excited about seeing Naomi. And Naomi says, no. She says, don't call me Naomi. Verse 20, which means pleasant. Rather, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Pleasant. Since the Almighty has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. She felt empty, abandoned, and afflicted. And I can understand her feelings. I mean, think about it. She left a decade earlier with a husband and with two sons. I mean, not with, with great hopes. I mean, they left because of a famine. But they, they were hoping to, to be able to live and to be able to survive and to be able to flourish. And instead, her husband died, her two sons died. She came back with her daughter-in-law really hungry without hope. My sermon last week was entitled Dark Days because these what what took place in their life. Life had not turned out the way that they had planned. 
I mean, if you would have asked Ruth growing up, how, how would you see your day? How would you see your life planned? I don't think that she would have written this when she was five years old. To uh, meet a woman from Israel and to marry her son and only to have a husband die and have my husband, her husband die and my husband die and only to have us just go back to Israel. She would not have written that. Nor would have Naomi. I mean, Naomi would not have said, I want to go out with my husband and two sons. I want them to die in the land of Moab. This is not how she was planning things would turn out. And she came back and she said empty. As I mentioned last week, though, there is light here. Because Naomi merely didn't see how full she came back. She came back with Ruth, described in chapter 3, verse 11, a woman of excellence, described in chapter 4, verse 15, as better than seven sons. So she went out with two sons and came back with seven, though she didn't see it. But what we're going to see this morning is in this day, this one day, um, we're going to see Ruth's worth, her value, and how the greatest blessing that would come to Naomi's life would come through her. My message this morning is entitled, What a Great Day. We go from dark days to a great day. I want to read for you Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap. And go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers. and He served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied. 
And when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from bundles and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man in whose field, the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withheld and withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is our close relative and he is one of our, good translation here, is redeemers, our closest relatives. And then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now we see here, everything takes place in one day. It's from morning until evening, with the exception of verse 23. Verse 23 is... um, Sort of a, a summary verse that prepares us and anticipates the chapter to come. Talking about how she was with there um, in Boaz's field from the beginning of the barley harvest to the end through the wheat harvest. Probably six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, chapter 1, at the end of chapter, chapter 1, there's a nice summary statement as well. Turn back there. Chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Naomi returned, that is returning from Moab, with Ruth the Moabitess. And by the way, notice in this book how many times it speaks about Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth from Moab. She's the Moabitess. It just always brings up that she is a foreigner. She's a foreigner without rights. But she returned with Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's a summary of everything that happened. Yes, they came back to Bethlehem. They restored, but at the very last phrase gives us a little bit new information. They came at the time of the barley harvest. It's about the 1st of June is when the barley harvest was. Time of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, when the barley which comes up is ready quickly, and the wheat harvest comes a little bit later. And this is the context surrounding chapter 2, is the barley harvest. So we come here in the first verse of chapter 2, and we read, Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, my oldest two children might call this verse random. Sometimes I'm with them and sometimes I say something and say, Dad, that was really random. And uh, this is really random here because it kind of just jumps into the narrative. Um, But here's what it does. It kind of foreshadows what's to come. It gives us readers... And inside of what's going on, so when here we see Boaz come on the scene, we've got an idea of what's taking place. Um, though, 
Ruth and Naomi didn't really realize this or, or know this. It's our little secret, okay? So let's, let's keep this secret here until we, we come later. Now, now, Naomi certainly knew of Boaz, but Ruth had never heard of this man Boaz before. Had no idea that he was a, a relative, and that's really the, the point. But there's great blessing that's going to come from this man. That's why he's mentioned here, so that, so that when he comes later, we'll be able to see he's identified here as a wealthy man, a relative of Naomi's husband. In many ways, Ruth is like Samoset. He's like the guy that comes on the scene that just might be a little bit at first, might just more blessing, but it just really expands as life goes on. You'll see that. Because Ruth and Naomi were in distress. Like the pilgrims, they were at a place of vulnerability. Two women, two widows in a man's world. They were in a place of poverty, had no source of income. They were in a place of desperation, lacking resources. Perhaps thinking about where they're going to get their daily bread. They would have loved to pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. They, they didn't know where it was coming from. In fact, in order to survive, they needed help. They felt the need to do something. And Ruth, in verse 2, says, this is what I will do. Ruth, again, the Moabitess. Right? The one without rights and the one without privileges said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. Here's, here's Ruth's plan. She wants to go into the fields and look at what she's trying to do. She's saying, I want to glean among the ears and I, and I want to really find favor in someone's eyes. That is my first point here this morning. Seeking favor. It's what Ruth is trying to do. She's trying to find some place where she can seek favor. Now, Ruth somehow, it had to have been through Naomi, was aware of the laws of the land that said that when you harvest, don't harvest right up to the edge, but leave the corners for the poor, for the needy and the alien. Listen to Leviticus 23.22. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of the harvest. You're to leave them for the needy and the alien. I'm the Lord your God. Don't go up to the edge. And furthermore, Deuteronomy 24:19 gives a little fuller picture. When you reap your harvest in your field and forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back for it. If you're on the work site and you leave your tools, just leave them there. Don't go back. Let someone who needs them come and glean. It should be for the alien and for the orphan and for the widow. Think about Ruth. Is she an alien? She's a Moabitess. Is she... An orphan? Sort of. She's left her father and mother. Is she a widow? Yes. Of anyone to get this, it is Ruth. For the orphan and for the widow and the alien, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. And really, this is, this is how it works. Farmers of Israel would go out to harvest the field and uh, they were intentionally to leave some of the crops in the field free for the alien, the orphan, the widow to come and take for their sustenance. Now, we don't do that today. In fact, in recent weeks, I've been thinking about the book of Ruth. I've been driving around Rockford and driving around the outskirts. I've been noticing how the farmers are harvesting. And I've been saying, hmm, is there anything left kind of on the edges or on the corners? And you know what? I did, I did see a stalk kind of on the edge. One stalk I saw. And I saw another one. It was like a lone stalk in the middle of a field. But in all my driving around, <clears throat> once the harvest had been done, I saw two stalks of corn. And the one in the, I think the ear was off of it, but I think the stalk was kind of still standing and surviving. We just don't do that today in our day of um, efficiency. And, and we don't have poor going out there. Our, our welfare system is a little bit different. We say you can't, 
heaven. Well, just sit home, we'll send you a check. But how much better is Israel's welfare system? Because cause think about it. In ministering to the poor, one of the things that's very important is to give them a self a sense of worth, a dignity, help. And uh, by, by allowing the poor to go out in the field, the poor and the needy, they, they've got a sense of accomplishment, which is really important for them to have. And Israel welfare system is, is in many ways much better than what we have. It gives them the dignity of working. And so every harvest, the poor would be hanging around the field waiting to claim what the harvesters would leave behind. But as good as it is, it's, it's filled with problems. Okay, Don't think that this is the best way of doing things. It's hard. Because there, there are problems here. Because you have vulnerable people looking to take from the land. How easy is it for the workers and the reapers to insult them and take advantage of them and mistreat them? In fact, even here in chapter 2, we'll see some allusions to how easily they can be mistreated. The place of the fields during the harvest can be a place of danger for the weak. They can be taken advantage of. They can be hurt physically. They can be pushed off. They can be insulted. And especially in the country when there's no law around to enforce these laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And especially that was the case in Ruth's day when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Why would a landowner willingly give up if he's doing what's right in his own eyes to the poor and the needy? It was a hard, dangerous, potential place. Yet despite these, Naomi tells Ruth, go my daughter. At the end of verse 2, and I think that such permission is an indication really of the desperation they faced. But notice Ruth's perspective on this. She says, I want to go. I want to find favor in someone's sight. That's what she was looking for. She's looking for favor. She's looking really for grace. The Hebrew word here is the Hebrew word chen. Okay? It's like the word hen, but you it. Okay? Let's say it together. Chen. Chen. Okay? Maybe not that hard, Chad. Okay? Maybe chen. That was Phil. I'm sorry, Phil. It's not that hard. <laughs> Thank you. Bechen is the word. And we get the, the word, what, what word do we get from this name? What name do we get from here? Hannah. In fact, we named our daughter Hannah Grace. Grace, Grace. That's what we named our daughter. In fact, that's what Carissa means. Carissa means Grace, Grace. All of our kids' names are... It's Stephanie Grace, so I named her after myself. Steve, Stephanie's why we named her. But she still has a middle name, Grace. That's what she was looking for. She was looking for grace. She was looking for unmerited favor, looking for undeserved kindness. And she was an alien, a widow, an orphan, and that's all that she could expect. All that she could expect was grace and favor. I want you guys to think about your relationship with the Lord. Before the Lord, that's all that we can expect before Him. We, we stand before the Lord a little bit like Naomi stood before someone in the fields, potentially. We stand with nothing. Ruth couldn't claim her heritage. She was a Moabitess. She couldn't claim riches because she was destitute. She couldn't claim her family line because they were all dead. Nothing. And that's before God. We can't claim our religious deeds. We can't claim our heritage. We, all we can do is just say, God, we... We have nothing. As the hymn writer said, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. I'm just just coming with nothing, God. In fact, would the truth be known, if we bring anything, we bring our sin to God. We bring the very thing that might turn us away from Him. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. We come to God with nothing except that would reject us from God. 
And that's what risk perspective. I'm going. I'm not looking to claim anything. I'm not claiming my rights. I'm looking for grace. I'm looking for favor. And we see God's providential hand here in verse 3. She'd planned a way and God directed her steps. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, we will get to this phrase about how she happened to come. It's a great phrase. But beforehand, we need, we need to think a little bit about harvesting and gleaning and how, how it works. I mean, they didn't have big combines like we have. I mean, we, we, we walked there in the drive by the fields, these big you know, machines, 16 rows at a time, you know, corn spitting out of them. They didn't have that. Instead, they harvested the barley and the wheat one stalk at a time. And you know, we just like don't even see this at all. Uh, you know, as all of you know, I'm, I'm going to Nepal in about two weeks or so. And while I was there last time, um, about a year and a half ago, I had an opportunity to travel and to walk with um, the pastor and some others, some younger workers in the church, up this mountain about two hours up this hill to a place called Dapcha where few Americans have been. In fact, I even talked to the pastor. I says, any, any white person, any American ever been on this path walking up here? He says, I don't think so. I think you're the first American to walk that path. Now, up there, you can, you can get there kind of by bus and things like that. Probably in the, it's a little village. I don't know, maybe 200 people, 300 people. I'm not sure. Not, not a lot. But it took us two hours to walk up there. And while we're walking, I'm seeing all these, all these things I haven't seen before. But one of the things I saw, I happened to see a man harvesting, I think it was wheat, maybe it was barley, I'm not sure. And this is what I saw. I, I was so fascinated by it, I wanted to see it. So here, here it is. Here's what, I filmed it for you. Go ahead. Bundling wheat. Just keep going. Keep going. Tell me to keep going. I want to see him bundle the wheat. And he takes a couple of wheats, puts them down, takes them around, twists them around, spins it, woo, and then makes a stack. Dynamite. Dynamot means what? Thank you is what it means. So I was walking up, and this guy was just kind of zipping him around and spinning him around and zipping around and spinning him around. I was like, what? what are you doing? And I asked my buddies, my Nepali guy, I said, I said, what are you doing? And they looked at me like I was from outer space. What do you mean, what is he doing? He's harvesting the wheat, right? And then they said this, how do you do it in your country? <laughs> and I said, well, we got big machines that come in, and, and you harvest this, and... Um, I said, you know, but a big tractor wouldn't be able to get up here because <laughs> it was, you know, it's this terrace, terrace kind of thing. So that wouldn't wouldn't work. But that's that's what's going on. They are are there in the fields, and I'm not sure if you noticed even behind there, there was a big bunch more behind there that is harvested up. And they kind of put it down, they stack it up, and they 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 do that. And and you can think about spinning that all around. How much is going to fly away? And when they're pull, pulling some of those others and wrapping them around, how much is going to fall on the ground? And the ground is for the gleaners. That's what's taking place. But verse 3, the key to verse 3 isn't so much the gleaning. That's more or less assumed that we need to kind of get in their world. Okay? But what's important isn't the gleaning, it's the field in which she gleaned. She gleaned in the field of Boaz. And look what it says here. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. I mean, it's almost as if by, by total chance, she just happened to come to Boaz's field. Now, we know that this isn't an accident because in chapter 2, verse 1, it's kind of preparing the way. And in fact, all of Ruth is all about the providential fingers of God in everything, helping to preserve these people and helping to preserve life also for the nation of Israel. 
And that's all what Ruth is about. The sovereign, providential working of God. Even through dark times, bringing things to light. And we get to the end of chapter 2, we're going to see Naomi acknowledging God's blessing in her life. We sang this song earlier. You give and you take away. And in chapter 1, God took away. That's what Naomi says. God has witnessed against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. God gives and He takes away in chapter 1. Here in chapter 2, we're going to find God giving. So it's a great message of hope today. In fact, that's the whole story of Ruth. God giving. Well, enter enter Boaz, verse 4. So far we've heard about him. He's wealthy and he's a relative of Naomi. And now we see his character. Look at verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, so he came from Bethlehem out into the fields. I mean, just to give you some context, these fields are the same ones that David eventually would be in. These fields are, are eventually the same ones that the, the shepherds were in when the angels came to say, hey, there's a baby been born in Bethlehem. I mean, these, these are fields that are sacred ground in some regard. He goes out of the city to the fields. And then he greets his reapers. He says, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. This is more than just a standard, how are you doing? No, this shows depth of character with Boaz. He loves the Lord. He's invoking a divine blessing upon his workers. May the Lord bless you. He's a man of integrity because the way his workers respond even demonstrate that they too love the Lord and are delighted to serve Him. Just have a desire, their respect for this man. Third here, we see how he cares for his workers. It's more than religious talk. They know full well it's full of meaning. He's greeting them and saying, how are you? May the Lord bless you. And, and the response is coming back. And just a, a great employer-employee relationship. There's no, there's no tension between them. I mean, even though they're out working in the field and he's supervising, he's the, he's the owner, there's still a great relationship there. It speaks of Boaz. And by the way, as we see Boaz more and more, you're just going to be impressed with him. It's a man of integrity. It's a man of honor. Um, in this sense, he really is a, a picture and a type of Christ. He is like Jesus, especially in the fact we're going to see in chapter 3 next week how he redeems, just like Jesus redeems. It's one of the purposes of the books of Ruth. Boaz is a sterling character. It only makes sense with his care of the, the reapers and the workers that he would notice something's different this day. He would notice this woman. He says, whose young woman is this? It says in verse 5. When Boaz said to his servant in charge of the reapers, Who is this? I see this woman. I've never seen her before. And what, what is she doing here? He knew his fields. He knew his workers. But he had never seen this woman before. And so the explanation comes in verse 6. The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please, let me, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and remained from the morning until now, and she's been sitting in the house for a little while. Verse 6 speaks about who Ruth is, and 7, about what she is. Verse 6 is her identity, and verse 7 is her character. First of all, her identity. She comes from Moab. Again, you see that same thing. She's a young Moabite woman. She's the foreigner. She's the one without rights. And, and, and verse 6 also speaks about, yeah, she's the one. Remember that Naomi returned with, with someone from Moab? And uh, the assumption there is, kind of like everybody's heard about this woman who returned. Boaz, certainly you have. You just haven't seen her yet. Well, this, this is that woman. So identifies her 
first by identity and then gives her character. And this is more important. Notice how Ruth approached the fields. The servant said, Ruth came and said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers. Because remember what she was seeking? What was she seeking? Favor. She's seeking favor. Please may I glean. I don't know if it's a common custom or not to ask. She didn't have to ask. She had every right in some sense to glean. That was for the poor. It was a foreigner, maybe not, but she could have pulled out scroll if she had one or gone to the rabbi or something and said, can I do this? But it speaks of her character that she asked permission. I do believe if she was turned down because of her attitude, she's looking for favor. She would not have pressed herself in there. She would have gone to another field because that's what she was. She wasn't demanding her rights. She was seeking favor. Shows her humility. But not only was she humble, but she's also a hard worker because the servant here points out that that she's been out working, but it's only just been a little while that she is here. And, and I think this is some sovereign timing as well, that just as Boaz comes, Ruth is there in the midst of the workers in the house or the hut taking a little break so he could see her rather than being out amongst the fields. Speaks of her work ethic here that she's been working all day except for just this little little break. She didn't just sit back and expect favor to come. She said, oh, just give me, give me. No, no. She said, may I? And then she went, and with favor, then she was willing to work. Well, by God's grace, she was seeking favor, and now by God's grace, she was finding favor, verses 8 through 16. And um, I just say this, Boaz, in giving favor to Ruth, is, is going over the top. And, and as we go through these things, I do want you to think that this is what God does with us as well. When we seek grace, grace comes to us more than we can ever imagine. Let's look at how, how kind Boaz is to Ruth. Listen carefully, my daughter. This is not really a daughter, but it's speaking about the age difference between Boaz and Ruth. Just a, a term of endearment there, a care, almost, almost calling Ruth, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. You are like my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And there you get a sense. You've got to tell them, don't touch her. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. I mean, Water back then wasn't just turning on a spigot. Water back then was going to the well and pulling and, and, and with, with great pain, bringing out the, the water to the workers. And this is valuable stuff. He says, don't, just go ahead and take. It's just, just kindness here. I mean, think about how Boaz showed kindness. Many field owners may have rejected Ruth and said, no, you go glean in my neighbor's field. But Boaz didn't do it. He said, don't go, stay here. Many owners would have instructed the gleaners maybe to wait until the harvest was done. Wait, wait until my, my gleaners have cleared out. Then you can go. No, she said, no you, know, you, go, you go right after the servants, verse 9. Many field owners wouldn't do anything to instruct the workers to protect the gleaners. They'd be like fair game out there. But, but Boaz, the owner, commanded the servants not to touch Ruth. Just don't touch her. Deal with her appropriately as a woman. It's a vulnerable woman. Many field owners wouldn't allow the gleaners to share the water. This is valuable resources, waste time. But Boaz was willing to waste time and resources to shower his blessings upon 
this woman. When you're thirsty, go and drink. And, and Ruth, rightly, in verse 10, was overwhelmed. She fell on her face, bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Again, it comes up, I'm a foreigner. Why are you doing this for me? There, there are widows, there are poor people in Israel, but why do I get this blessing? And I say, church family, let's always be like this with grace. Let's be overwhelmed. by. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me to Him who death pursued amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, would die for me? Just Why is it that I found favor in Your sight, Mr. Boaz? Why? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Would my Sovereign devote His head, Jesus, for me? Can it be? Boaz, why are you so kind? It's a question we must always ask. See, when favor comes your way, there's no reason to be proud. Sadly, we can, in our sin, be proud of grace when it comes. But Ruth knew her place. She knows she has nothing to claim. She says she's a foreigner. She says, why me? We can easily ask her that of God. Why, God? I'm a sinner and you're holy. Why would you be gracious to me? Ruth's question was answered in verse 11. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Lots of things going on here. In many ways, Boaz, having heard of this story, said, Ah, this is the woman who showed great love to Naomi in abandoning her own people and abandoning her own household to care for this widow. Even when we saw in chapter 1, remember, it would be better for Ruth to have stayed in Moab, but her faithfulness, her love towards Naomi brought her here. But see, it was beyond just love for a woman. It was love for the Lord as well. You remember back in chapter 1, verse 15, sorry, verse 16, where he says... Um, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Invoking a pledge, may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death departs me and you. I mean, basically what, what she was saying is saying, Naomi, I'm in with you. I'm in with your God. And I'm coming. And so when Ruth identifies, the, when Boaz identifies the fact that Ruth came Seeking refuge underneath the wings of the Lord God of Israel. See, it was, it was bigger than just a relationship with Naomi. It was a, as a proclamation that said, I'm going to follow your God. And, and don't we have a compassion for people who call themselves Christians? I know sometimes I've dealt with poor people and, you know, they're asking for things. You know, once, once they invoke, well, I'm a believer in Jesus, I, I just find my heart kind of melt for them a bit more. And there are other people who our hearts can melt for when we find that out. And that's what's happening here. Ruth is demonstrating she's a lover of God, a follower of that. And Boaz's heart is just melting for her. And, and you know, that's how God deals with us. 
in humility, in desperation when we just cling to Him and we say we're going to follow Him, God rewards humility with grace. There's reward language here. I mean, it's, it's not reward in the sense that we think. I mean, humility isn't working for grace. You, that, that's an oxymoron. You can't work for what is due, as Paul says in Romans chapter 4. But rather, when you're humble, He rewards that with grace. In our small groups, we recently looked at the parable of the, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, from Luke 18. Right? Many of you have been to those studies. have been really good. But the, the Pharisee saying, I, God, I thank You I'm not like this poor tax collector over here. I... I, I, I praise you that I'm not like that. I'm not a swindler unjust. I fast twice a week. I tithe everything I get. Look at how good I am. But the tax collector being far away, couldn't even lift up his eyes to the temple. He just beat his breast. said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus made the statement, I tell you, that one went down to his house justified, not the Pharisee who was up and about. Why? It's because God rewards humility with grace. Pride... If you're proud of your works, He's going to reward you according to your works. If you're humble, grace will come. In fact, that was the principle at the end of the story. It says this, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's what we see with Ruth. She humbled herself, and in God's proper time, He lifted her up and exalted her. She knew she didn't deserve anything. That's what she said in verse 13. She said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. You have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. I'm not employed by you. I'm a, a foreigner from a strange land. You have just shown me grace. By the way, this is exactly what she was looking for. She was looking for someone that would extend her grace. She found it and then she responded appropriately. But, but that's not all. It's like the Ginsu knives. More grace is coming with Boaz. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. She had security from Boaz. Don't go to another field. She had protection from Boaz. Don't touch her. She had help from Boaz. Drink our water. She also gets lunch right alongside the reapers. She wasn't, oh, you go back home and get your own lunch. She'd say, oh, what little, did you bring anything? I'm not sure she had anything in the cabinets to bring for lunch. But look what she got for lunch. Kids, you see what she had for lunch? What'd she have? Roasted grain. Yeah, roasted wheat. Doesn't it sound good? <laughs> roasted grain. Maybe it's a bread, kind of breadish kind of thing. I, I'm not sure. Apparently it was, it was good. But notice here also that Boaz was serving her. It says right here, that he served her roasted grain. What a, what a picture of servant leadership that is, right? Ruth, you come here, and he was the one to give her the food. He was the one to hand it to her so she could have it. He didn't just say, oh, yeah, you just go do that. No, he was personally involved, his grace was. In fact, she was served so much that she had some left over. She was satisfied and some left. you know what she did with that? What happens when you go to a restaurant and you have some left over? You get a doggy bag. Exactly. She got a doggy bag and she shared it with Naomi. We see that in verse 18 coming up. But you might think that was enough. No, Boaz continues to show his grace upon her. Verse 15, when she rose to glean. Okay, it's been lunchtime. She's out going to glean now. Boaz commanded to his servants, let her glean even among the sheaves. 
and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. I mean, this is, this is great, great favor. It's just coming abundant. Not only is she able to glean in the field, but her servants were commanded to help her in the process. To leave the sheaves. I mean, I could just imagine, you know, someone wrapping it up like this going, woo, you're spinning around, and then Ruth is there just saying, oh, I dropped it. Oops, I'm sorry, Ruth, I dropped it, I dropped it. You know, carrying on, just maybe even dropping it at Ruth's feet so she can have it. And that was from the top. That was the owner. It's not the... In fact, even think about it. I don't think a manager would get away with this because it's kind of wasteful. Wasting resources. But it's the owner who could be wasteful in kindness says to do this. And, and no one could speak badly of her. No insults. No rebukes. Which shows, by the way, that you know, oftentimes you know, there would be some poor people around and, and poor people can be rebuked many times. Especially if they're imposing on something. It's easy. It would have been easy. Oh, you're too close. No, nope, none of that. Ruth is just right there among them and they're doing work for her. Only kindness. What a blessing. And I do think that though Ruth was seeking favor, she found more than her wildest dreams could ever imagine. Such is a picture of God's grace to us. It's far more than we deserve. That makes it grace. But it's far more than we think we will ever get. God's grace. And Ruth gleaned the entire day is what verse 17 says. She gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Again, i got another video to show you from my time in Nepal. We, we passed this guy with the wheat and then up he had some buddies of his up at the floor and this guy was beating his wheat. So here's what he's doing. So go ahead, Adriana. Getting the wheat out. I think that's what he's doing, kind of beating it out. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but somehow getting the grain. Yeah, okay, yeah, we can see it again. Yeah, just pounding it out, getting the grain. There's a big pile of grain there, taking the hot ducks and throwing them away, and then they're going to pick up all the grain. That's what Ruth did. And it says then that she got about an ephah of barley that day. An ephah of barley. Have any idea how that might say this? Close to a bushel. 30, 40 pounds of barley. <clears throat> speaks about the strength of, of, uh, of Ruth. And so she's coming home. 40 pounds of barley on her back. And she was seeking favor, finding favor, and now she's enjoying favor. There it is coming. Also, verse 18. She's going to get home. Everything here is going to take place at home. Maybe by candlelight because it was evening. Probably worked until dark. Whenever they harvest, they're always out working until dark. Um, didn't have headlights out there like we have on our combines today. You can walk past night. They couldn't walk, work past night, but they come home. And when she did, she took it and went into the city. And her mother-in-law, this Naomi, saw what she had gleaned. And, and she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. So picture this. She's gone all day. Naomi didn't know where she was. Naomi knew the dangers in the field, knew the insults she might face, knew the, the dangers of, of the men, and she comes back with 40 pounds of barley on her back. 
I mean, I think the equivalent to uh, gleaning is a little bit like uh, picking up aluminum cans. Okay? I know that my Hannah is doing that, and I've been doing that too. We were out for a walk last Monday, Yvonne, and I'm, I'm in the bushes picking up these aluminum cans for Hannah. And come back with 40 pounds of aluminum cans would be pretty remarkable. But she comes back with 40 pounds of barley, and uh, Naomi was, was shocked. And furthermore, Naomi got the leftovers right there from her lunch. She gave Naomi what she left over after she was satisfied. And obviously, Ruth had been successful in her endeavors. She was seeking favor, and she had found favor, and now was time to enjoy it. Now, it doesn't say it here, okay? This is reading between the lines and probably conjecture, but I think the Spirit is right. Picture with me some uh, college roommates, girls, 20, 21, 22, and, um, you know... They've got boyfriends, a pretty serious boyfriend, and then one of them comes back one time with a, a ring on her finger. What, what happens in a college dorm room or apartment when that happens? I, I, I can picture the girls like, like hugging each other and hopping. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Can you picture that? I know I can. I think that's what was happening. As old as Naomi was, they're just, they're just happy. They're rejoicing. They're hugging. They're laughing. They're smiling. God's saying, we got 40 pounds of barley. This is like, this is going to last us for a couple weeks. Maybe months. I mean, this is, this is helpful. A few weeks ago, I put forth a little phrase with church. Rock Valley Bible Church exists to... Here we go. Help me now. It exists to... Enjoy. And... Extend His glory. We exist to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. Let's say it again. We exist to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. We are seeing these women enjoying grace. They're just rejoicing at what, what was given to them. The conversation continues, and this is where I get these, this picture. Her mother-in-law says, Where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. And this is even before she knew where, where she was. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And she said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now, i gotta, I got to picture this as a movie, alright? It's a movie. They're coming back. Where did you work today? And she could have said, Boaz, the name of the guy where I worked. But that, that's like, that missed it. The whole point of it is that Boaz, with the end of the sentence, and I could picture the movie, and they're all happy, and where did you get this today? And she said, the name of the man in his field I worked today was, um, his name was, was, Boaz, exactly right, right? The suspense is coming there, and it says, Boaz. And then at that point, right, camera spans to Naomi. And what's, what's Naomi doing? She's like... You know, she's just getting excited because she understands everything about Boaz. Now, Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is. Boaz, she doesn't know Boaz from anybody. But, but, but Naomi understands. And you know what she understood? She understood the smiling face coming from behind the frowning providence. It started to come. That's why it was a great day. Because not only was His abundance given, but the One through whom it came was great. That's how it comes. And look what Naomi said in verse 20. 
Naomi said to her daughter, May he be blessed of the Lord. Now, she already said that in verse 19. May he who took notice of you be blessed. But she says it again. But, but now she says it with understanding. This is Boaz. May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living or the dead. Now, there's a question here. Is this in verse 20? May he be blessed of the Lord um, who has not... Is it, is it Boaz who has not withdrawn his kindness? Or is it God who has not withdrawn his kindness? You see what I'm talking about there in verse 20? May he, Boaz, be blessed of the Lord because Boaz has not withheld his kindness? Or is it, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withheld his kindness from us? I think the second one makes better sense grammatically. It is the Lord who has not withheld his loving kindness. Again, we get a Hebrew word. This Hebrew word is not chen, but it's a synonym within. This Hebrew word is chesed. You heard that word before? (laughs) <laughs> it's, on our, it's on our van. It says chesed for, because I'm not sure why it says for, but it says for because it was cheaper that way rather than just saying chesed. But it says chesed for. And um, um, I remember one person saying, oh, I know why it says, this is a couple years ago, I know why it says he said for because you guys have four kids. And I said, no, that doesn't work now. We have five kids now. But it doesn't say that. It's a Hebrew word for chesed. It's, it's God's loving kindness. It's His mercy. It's His loyal love. It's His covenant faithfulness. And I've had many people come up to me, and that's why I've got the license plate like that. Many people come up to me and say, chesed? What, what does that mean? And I say, well, it just means the loving kindness of the Lord. It's just a key word in the Old Testament. It just continues to remind us of His faithfulness to us. And you know what? It's not. It's not just us. We've had other. I've had other people. Like remember, we were in, on vacation, and we were just out of was it Crater Lake, and this guy kind of comes up to us, and and he, you know, this pull off, and there's nobody there, just our car, and then someone else came up, and we kind of engaged in conversation. He says, "Oh, like you're a Christian or something." Chesed, God's loving kindness. Yeah, woohoo, way to go. That's great. And he just drove off, like without conversation. But it does speak, I mean, this is such a key word in the Old Testament. It speaks of His loving kindness, His his faithfulness. And that is what's happening here with Naomi. Naomi knows that God is faithful. Knows that He gives and takes away. And here is where He is giving more abundantly than He ever took away. He's not withdrawn His loving kindness to the living and to the dead. She's understanding the ways of the Lord. The same God who brought the bitterness and brought being witnessed against and being afflicted, like in chapter 1, verse 20, has now brought the smiling face. And to this point, I think that Naomi sees how great this day was. It's not just a provision of food, but it's bigger than that because it was Boaz. And as she explains, which really is a precursor to next week because we can't even start getting into this. She said this. Um, Again, Naomi said to her, This man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. That is, he is one of our redeemers. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Hebrew word here is goel. It's a technical word. It just means that he's he's a close one. He can redeem us, Ruth. If this one is showing kindness to you now, he can be one who redeems us. It's kind of the excitement that this, this can be our ticket. This can be what helps us. This can be what helps us survive. So just everything changed this day. That's why it's a great day. Then Ruth the Moabitess continues to report. It's like, I haven't even told you everything that Boaz said to me. Further, he said, you shall stay close to my servants until they've finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out upon his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. There's a danger. Don't go to the other fields. You've found safety and security here. You find help there. And then the summary. She stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, next week we will see how it is that Boaz plays an important, crucial role in the lives of Ruth and Naomi to redeem them. That will be our word next week. Redeem them, being the closest relative. So let's pray. Oh God, what a great day. What a great day. And, and certainly there are days like that in our lives. We get test results back of a college exam that allows us to enter into a right college. Or the day we meet our, our spouse. That's a day in which things are turned. We land that first job which gives us experience. It's a day where fortunes turn. And Lord, I thank You for just Ruth and how the fortunes have turned on this day. And we rejoice in that. And, and yet, Lord, it's, it's, there's a bigger lesson here of how it turned for Israel and it turned for us to have a Messiah. I pray that our heart and our attitude and our perspective would be the same as Ruth's. May we, may we seek favor. May we seek grace from You. We come with nothing. It's, it's only Christ that we can claim. And I pray that we would find favor there. God, there is favor there to be found and would pray that You would lavish it upon us as Boaz lavished it upon Ruth. God, especially for unbelievers among us, I pray that they would find that favor, find the grace, because they would seek it. And I pray, finally, that we as a church would be those who enjoy our favor, that we would rejoice in it, be so happy and so glad and so rejoicing in You of how good You've been to us. You've not withdrawn Your loving kindness to us. So in that, Lord, we can only rejoice and pray you'd help us conform us to the image of your Son. I would pray for next week, even you'd prepare our hearts now for thinking about a Redeemer. How it is that Christ has redeemed us from our sins? You might see all these lessons come out of this little book of a little obscure woman. The Old Testament has much to teach us. We thank you, love you, we praise your name. In whose name we pray. Amen.